Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 69 of the Summit for Wellness podcast. I'm your host, Brian Carroll, and at the end of last week's episode, I had mentioned that this week will be a little bit different than our normal episodes, and that's because we are going to be talking a lot about sexual health. And uh, if you like to listen to these episodes with your kids, this probably isn't one that you want them to be listening to, Uh, so just a fair warning there. But ever since I got married a few months ago, I've had quite a few conversations with uh, different couples that have been together for a long time. And one of the common issues that a lot of the couples had mentioned that seems to happen in a lot of relationships is that the uh, spark starts to leave the relationship after you've been with someone for a long time. So obviously, I think everyone would like to try and keep that spark alive as much as they can. So we brought on uh, a couple guests to talk about how to uh, really dive deep into your own sexual blueprint, or as our guests call it, it's the erotic blueprint of each individual partner. And so we brought on Jaya and her partner, Ian, to talk about these blueprints. And we also brought on my wife, Sarah, to uh, just so that we could have a discussion between multiple couples about uh, how these blueprints work and how to incorporate them into uh, relationships. So, If you are interested in this topic at all, then you will definitely want to listen to this episode because it's highly entertaining, but also uh, definitely teaches you how to keep that spark alive within your relationship. So let's get right into this conversation. Internationally recognized award-winning sexologist and best-selling author of The Red Hot Touch, Jaya is the creator of of the Erotic Blueprint Breakthrough and the Erotic Blueprint Quiz, which can be found at eroticbreakthrough.com slash SFW. Through more than two decades of client observation and clinical research, she discovered a map of arousal that reveals your specific erotic language of arousal, a revolutionary framework to create deeper connection and sexual satisfaction. We are also joined here with Jaya's partner, Ian, and my wife, Sarah. So thank you, everybody, for coming onto the show. You bet. Yay. (laughs) It should be fun. Excited to be here. (laughs) It's it's definitely going to be busy on this podcast because we have four voices, but because we are talking about the topic of sex, I think having multiple couples here is going to just bring the conversation really alive because we've had so many people reach out to us and talk or ask us questions about, you know, how to keep things uh, alive in their relationship. So thank you, everybody, for coming on. And as we get started into this, I would love to find out from Jaya what got her interested in becoming a sexologist, because it's definitely something that you don't hear a whole lot about. So Jaya, can you dive into that? Yeah, actually, when I was a little girl, 
I wanted to be Dr. Ruth when I grew up. Now, anybody Dr. Ruth meant might not be but she, <laughs> familiar to people. She was a popular like German woman who just was spunky and did a lot of media around sex and sexuality in like the 80s and 90s. And she's still kicking it. I think she's in her mid 80s now, still talking about sex. We just saw her recently. <laughs> and, so, and so she just completely inspired me. And I, I joke that you know some people were gifted in music, some people are gifted in numbers and accounting and mathematics and engineering. I came in erotically gifted. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, it was just something I wanted to do. I was the kid who told all of their friends, you know, hey, listen, the stork story, not real. Let me tell you the lowdown on where <laughs> babies come from. Um, so that was me. <laughs> And then, Ian, you've been with Jaya for almost 12 years. It must take uh, someone special to be able to be with someone that focuses so much on sex and does a lot of different experimentations with sex. So can you talk a little bit about how uh, you kind of came into the picture? (laughs) Uh, Well, yes, of course, I'm very special. And uh, I came into the picture, basically, I'd come out of a marriage. And one of the big fail points in the marriage was the sex life. And I would say that 99.9% of the fail point around my sex life in my marriage had to do with me. So when I when that marriage came to an end, and, and that was kind of a real fulcrum in the ending of that relationship, I made some decisions. I didn't go into like a lot of deep research about sex and trying to figure out how to be a greatest lover. I did choose that it was no longer something for me to fear and that I had to bring my presence to any of my partners going forward so that I could really learn who they were, how to satisfy them and how to feed what they needed to feel aroused, to feel seen, to feel connected and loved. And Ian's uh, a super powerful manifester. He wanted to do that. And then he invited a sexologist into his life. (laughs) So instead of doing a bunch of online courses or anything like that, I just decided to to bring the premier sexologist of the planet into my partnership. It's it's, uh, super interesting to hear you, um, you know, fully admit that a lot of the uh, issues with your sex life in your marriage came from you. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like um, a lot of people don't like to own that when there is a problem. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, the biggest key that I discovered or, and it, you know, came to me at the end way too late in that relationship to make a difference was this thing about just personal presence. I was so caught up in wanting to be successful or in fact, feeling more like a failure that I let my ego get in the way of being connected to my partner, being connected to what really needed to be done. And that made her feel unseen, unsafe, and uh, certainly unsatisfied sexually. So that's, you know, that's one of the biggest starting points that we start with any with anybody in their connection to themselves first, who are you as an erotic being, and then bringing that connection, which is about full intimacy and openness to their partner. And how do you remain present while dealing with all of the past stuff, like all of the things, the lessons you've learned about sex, whether they're, you know, about shame or hiding or I'm not enough. Here's a question for everyone who's listening. Where did you learn about sex? Mm-hmm. And what did you mm-hmm. learn? And most people, when I ask audiences this all over the world, they say they didn't get a sex education. 
And I argue with this. You actually did get a sex education. You have a whole world of beliefs about sex. You got sex education from the silence. You got sex education from what was happening that was swept under the rug in your family dynamics. From porn, from religion. Affairs, betrayals, divorce. You were learning about sex. You were learning about your body. You were learning about this is okay, this is not okay. It's not okay to speak up. It is okay to speak up. All of these messages that we've gotten about sexuality, about our bodies, have been sexuality education. And so I ask everyone just to ponder this. Where did you learn about sex? From whom? And what did you learn? What were the messages you had growing up? Because that affects your own sexuality with your own body, but also a sex sexual life and that aliveness that so many of you are seeking to create, that aliveness in a relationship. All of those belief systems, all of those things that you learned are now oftentimes subconsciously affecting the relationship you're currently in. That is a super interesting point because a lot of the stuff that we hear about sex is more of the negative stuff. You hear about, you know, in, in public schools, they teach abstinence is the only yeah. way. And then, like you said, you hear about a lot of the failed relationships, you hear about the affairs. And so I feel like a lot of people find it kind of taboo to talk about the good things with sex. So why do you think that is? Ah, <laughs> that's a, that's the golden question. It's a 2000 plus year old uh, story that's been woven into most of Western culture. Um, and, you know, I mean, you go, we, we can go back to the Victorian era. We can go back to moving from nomadic people to agriculture, to ownership of women. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's so many things that we can go into. And I think people underlying this, there's a fear of the power of sexuality. Mm -hmm. And, and this is, you know, this is just my theory, which is that sex is a really powerful tool to aliveness, to awakening, to wellness, to health. We can utilize, and there's research on this. You can look at research on um, immune system and, and orgasm and find Longevity, that- Longevity, youthfulness. Youthfulness. Some of these, these the, the practices around manifestation even, you know? And so sex is a very powerful tool. And I think that there has been a fear of the power of sex that in some ways we've been, we've been taught lies and illusions and a lot of stories around- what sexuality is and the danger aspect instead of, wow, look at how powerful this is. Look at how we can utilize sex, not as something that is recreational anymore, but actually recreational that we can use sex to, to build our bodies, to, mm -hmm. to bathe our bodies in pleasure and have it all in some ways, you know, that would be a, uh, Think and Grow Rich, the book Think and Grow Rich in chapter 11, he talks about sex transmutation and the power of utilizing sexual energy to awaken latent genius in the brain. So a lot of the sexual teachings around pleasure and positivity were kept for the kings and the, you know, the emperors in China, and they mm -hmm. got all the good, they all got all the good information. All the, you know, if I'm going to put label it good, bad, but they all got, they, they got the good stuff. They got the gold stuff. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the, those things were kept secret or even demonized. And then if we go into Western culture, we've got, you know, hysteria in women, which was really, they were giving women orgasms to treat hysteria, but calling it, you know, vaginal paroxysms and, and things like that. And then the doctor's hands were hurting. So then they created vibrators mm -hmm. to save the doctor's hands and, and, you know, calling women hysteric, hysteric if they wanted pleasure, 
if they needed orgasms because they weren't having sex. So, yeah. and if you <laughs> if you're looking at the you know somewhat recent history of sex and sexuality, you can look to the Victorian area and you can see that the the books, the biology of female sexuality, the pleasure parts were actually removed from the text. They were removed from the anatomy textbooks in the medical community. And you, you know, this this conversation get, can get very, very, very political. <laughs> yeah. they they took the clitoris out of the books. Um, you know, only wow. the external aspects of the clitoris. They took all the internal aspects of the clitoris, and the clitoris's function is pleasure. And so they they kept the reproductive organs, took things out like the vestibular bulbs of the clitoris or the perineal sponge, which is in the between the vaginal and anal wall. A lot of the areas of erectile tissue and pleasure were were removed from the anatomy textbooks and are just now coming back into cultural awareness. You know, in the last you know five ten years. Yeah. So, yep. <laughs> we we could we could do a whole <laughs> show on just on this. <laughs> no, it's it's super interesting because I feel like people are just starting to come around to uh, talk about you know their needs and their sexual desires and you kind of see a little bit of backlash where people start calling other people names for wanting sex. Uh, mm-hmm. Even though we all actually do want it, it's just some people are more vocal about it. So what are some ideas that you might have to start opening the floor for people to be able to talk more about it and not feel shameful about it? One thing is a reframe. I, I really want to reframe sexuality because we exist because of sex we are all a product of sex. If we didn't have sex, we wouldn't be here. And in creating sex as something that's shameful, we actually shame the existence of our humanness. We, we shame our own existence by shaming the thing that created us. I mean, look at the beauty that can occur during sex and the creation of another human on this planet. So just starting there with that reframe of we exist because of this thing called sex. Sex is pleasurable. Sex is beautiful. Sex boosts your immune system. There are so many amazing, wonderful things about sex. And then if you bring in the quality of transcendent sexuality and intimacy and separate it from the need for procreation, uh, it is a bonding instrument. It is something that has, that from the very beginning of man was one of the ways that we connected with our tribes and created a society that could make it so we we made it through all of the um, the predators and the fears and the you know all of the things that could have ended us as a species. Mm-hmm. And now let me address the shame. So we all have many parts inside of us. We have the part of us that just wants to be sexually free. The part of us that says, "Oh, I want to go explore this." The part of us that wants to experience high pleasure and knows there's a part of us inherently that knows, wait a minute, something's not quite right in the narrative of the stories I've been told about sex. And then there's the part that is the narrative. There's the part inside of us that says, good girls don't. The part that says, keep your legs closed. The part that says, don't do that thing that you're desiring. The part that says, don't talk about it. The I call those the gatekeepers and the protectors. And those parts are the parts that are trying to keep us safe keep us accepted in the tribe of the culture, keep us in a place of, okay, you're okay. You're, you can still be loved as long as you don't, as long as you behave within these parameters, you will still be loved. And oftentimes those parts are created when we're very young, the messages we got. Ian and I talked about at the opening of the show. And so one of the tools that, that I give is just to start not trying to push away all these different parts, but actually to listen to them 
And Ian and I have a course on erotic personas where we do this work, where we go very deep into, okay, what are the gatekeepers? Who are, who are the gatekeepers and the protectors and those parts? And let's work with those parts and help, help them integrate or help them find a healthier voice or give them a new job. There's all kinds of different things. We're not trying to fix any of these parts or get rid of any of these parts. Those parts will usually rebel if we try to do that. And then we find the empowered erotic part of ourselves. And who is that? Um, I've developed probably seven or eight empowered erotic personas, which are really super fun. I have one called Puddles. That was my exploration <laughs> last year. She was about reclaiming total sluttiness, you know, and, and I found in that delight reclaiming delight and enjoyment of sex and and delight in receiving receiving was very hard for me and in reclaiming that part of me that i disowned that delight and that sort of like slutty abandon i was able and i mean slutty in a really good way um, <laughs> slutty in all the right <laughs> in ways. all the right ways um and and in that i discovered wow when i was a little kid I never experienced delight. I was very serious and I never had like my dad take me to a fair and buy me like a funnel cake and a balloon and ride a roller coaster, like that kind, those kinds of things. And I, so Ian took me out and we went to like, we rode on a Ferris wheel. We, <laughs> got we, ate, we ate cotton candy, like all the bad food that I, you know, like the organic, you know, and all that stuff. I eat super healthy, but it was like just amazing to just like let that all free and, and play and reclaim delight. with such a huge piece. Mm-hmm. Did you say that um, if there's a lot of shame around sex, then trying to uh, invigorate your sexual parts, sometimes it'll rebel against you? Yes. So when, when you when you go to find those erotic empowered parts, if you haven't listened to so this is about acceptance, acceptance of self, acceptance about what are those parts that are in there that maybe you haven't listened to in a really long time, you know, cause you're just trying to ignore them. You're trying to push away the parts that feel shame or push away the part that says, don't go do that. And the more that you try to push those away, the more subconscious acting out happens or you, they just get louder. They, instead of little children that need to be heard, which oftentimes they are, they're usually very young primitive parts they turn into little devils who are like, you know, hey, um, I'm not going to let you go do that thing now. I'm mm-hmm. going to, you know, give you a stomach ache or it might show up in the body as a physical response now that that is not so pleasant. And, uh, you know, Brene Brown talks about shame and how shame can't live in the light. So shame, if it, if if you're pushing away these parts, it's a more of it's it's reinforcing the narrative that there's something shameful, something to be hidden, something mm-hmm. to run away from, and the resentments maybe that come up of the lessons that I learned from my father, from my mother, from my religious background, from my peer group, or, or the trauma the- I experienced that told that I created then a negative belief. You know, me, I I grew up with a lot of developmental trauma, and that trauma had me have a core fundamental belief that I'm rotten. I'm, I'm broken there. I'm a monster. Something is fundamentally wrong with me in order to have experienced the abuse and trauma that I experienced. And so healing those beliefs that aren't even, you know, they're lies. They're essentially lies because, you know, none of us is, is that. And uh, so anyway, I can go down, we can go down lots of rabbit holes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I definitely find it interesting because I never really 
knew about the shame part of it until I met Sarah. And I don't really want to talk for her. She can uh, talk about it if she wants, but there was a lot of shame just in the way that she was brought up around sex as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I'll go into it a little bit. Um I mean, mine pretty much stemmed from the religious side of background. And I just remember, I think I was around like 13 or 14. And, you know, that's like prime exploration kind of stage, like especially as a woman. Um, And I just, I, I pretty much was told to, you know, like things weren't right, basically. Um, So I kind of, I shut myself down on that exploration because I was there was a lot of shame basically Mm -hmm. um attached to trying to explore and trying to figure out who I am and what what my body needs and what it likes and um I definitely didn't open those doors until I pretty much met Brian at like 21 so Mm -hmm. yeah it's a really long time to be holding stuff in and now it's been like such a journey ever since trying to like open those doors back up and like brush away the cobwebs Mm -hmm. and be like okay where did I leave off my exploration and where is it headed now? And how do I, how do I tie that into a whole nother partner? You know, like I don't, there's so much Mm. I've been trying to learn about myself, but then also attaching that to a whole nother person who has a whole different sexual background than me. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in these shadows, we don't give language to be able to articulate our sexual needs, to be able to understand who we are as erotic beings, to be able to communicate that to ourselves first and then to a partner or partners as we move into our sexual self. So in that ignorance, often what gets reinforced is the pain, the shame, the disconnection, the confusion, like I was talking about for myself and my marriage. I mean, I was I was a fairly matured adult at that point. I was in my 30s. I had had plenty of sexual experience, but I was still not in a realm where I could be in acceptance of myself with knowledge to take in and a ability to communicate and find out what my partner needed and wanted. And in getting in relationship with Jaya, of course, that opened up a whole world <laughs> of, of our, uh, language and the ability to articulate. And over the last many years, that work has really crystallized in our work with erotic blueprints, which is a, a, a personality typing for your erotic personality Mm -hmm. like who are you as an erotic being oh you know i've been at this for over two decades now and and the thing that i saw foundationally that was at the core of all this was this lack of comprehensive education around our sexuality there's the unraveling of all the belief systems but what i see people show up with most is i'm broken something is fundamentally wrong with me and I'm broken in my sexuality. I'm not normal is the next one, which is I have these desires or, or I have these things that are outside the norm that make me, again, lead back to I feel broken. I'm alone. I'm, I'm alone. Weird. And then and then the core of I'm not enough. I'll never be enough. I, 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 I will never live up to the expectations of my partner. Or I'll never be enough for my own self. I'll never love enough or I, I'll, I'll never succeed. I'll never be perfect enough. These three things foundationally, which is where part of the blueprint work came out of was I was looking for as I was, as I was 
working with my clients, just started to see these patterns in people of a map, essentially, of their eroticism. And that map, because it didn't fit into the norm of our culture of what we're taught we're supposed to be, you know, especially when we look at gender, we start to look at all men are supposed to be X, Mm -hmm. you know, all men are simple and easy, uh, or all women are you know, pour them a hot bath and then they'll be turned on and give them some roses. You know, right. <laughs> it's like, I would puke on your shoe if you did that to me. At that point. <laughs> you know, so uh, this, this blueprint mapping kind of came out of me seeing how people were aroused differently and then wanting to create a language around, okay, well, what do we do when two people have different blueprints? Because the majority of us do have differing erotic blueprints and we think we're broken. We think we're incompatible and nothing could be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. Well, since you've been alluding up to the blueprint, let's dive right into that blueprint and feel free to do a deep dive into it too, because I think there's a lot of information that can be gleaned from these different uh, uh, sexual language types. So uh, let's go straight into it. Great. So as people are listening, I want you to listen for one, are you, what parts of this do you resonate with? What parts of this sound like you? Because you can start to figure out your blueprint as you're listening. And then two, just noticing if, because people have this aha, like, oh my goodness, if I had known this in my past relationship, things might've been different or just kind of noticing other relationships you've had thinking about that as we're going through this. And if you're currently in a relationship, doesn't matter if you're in a relationship or single, this stuff all applies. Um, but, but what might your blueprints be? What, what might your partner's blueprint be as we go through this? Because this creates a language for the two of you to be able to communicate on a whole other level. And it isn't about compatibility here. If you have different blueprints, it truly is just, you speak Spanish, I speak English. So let me learn some Spanish. Mm -hmm. It really truly is education and learning more than, oh, we're doomed because we're different. Different Uh is great. Different, (laughs) different actually creates more polarity in the relationship, which creates more attraction to one another. So, and a lot of opportunity to expand into pleasures that you don't even know are possible. Yeah. Because you're probably looking at the world through one frame and there's just a, a whole smorgasbord of opportunity available. So let's dive in with the first one and that is energetic. So there are five for those of you who take notes like I do, who like to write one, two, three, four, five in your notebooks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there are five and we're going to fill them all in. So the first one is the energetic and the energetic is someone who's turned on by anticipation, space, tease, longing, and yearning. They are their superpowers. They can have orgasms without ever being touched. So right there might be somebody might just go, aha. Um, (laughs) So you don't necessarily need physical touch. You don't need sexual intercourse. You can, you can have sex by thinking about something in your mind and that turns you on and you can go into orgasmic state, total ecstasy, from you know somebody gazing at you from across the room and feeling all that anticipation. So that full-bodied non-genital orgasms you can have, you know, I can go into all I don't want to define too much of this, but like multi-dimensional orgasms, like way out there, transcendental kind of type stuff, where you're in an altered state of consciousness during orgasmic state. It's what's usually associated to tantric sex sex practices. Tantric or Taoist, Taoist. or shamanic, you know, mm-hmm. as we get into some of that type of type of languaging. So the the shadow side, and shadow sides are only shadows if there's something that distresses you, if it's something that bothers you. And so the sh- the shadow side of the energetic is you're you're so sensitive 
you're a lot of people who have energetic as their main primary blueprint have a lot of sensitivity and it's sensitivity to your environment. Maybe you're sensitive to electromagnetic frequencies or um, you're sensitive to people's thoughts. You're sensitive to energies in the room. And it, it's often, I hear this, that your clitoris is gone for, your genitals are gone for right away. It's too much, too quick, too fast. Your body literally short circuits because of the level of sensitivity that you have. The sensitivity can be a superpower, but in the shadow side, it short circuits you out and all your turn on goes away. I don't know if any of you have experienced where it's like longing, 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 and you're about to kiss. And then the kissing starts and it's good, but it's not as good as all the longing that was just <laughs> happening before with all the anticipation and the tease. And then, and then the bodies come together and then genitals start being touched. And you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? Wait, what's happening? Like my, your arousal starts going down, down, down instead of up, up, up. And you don't often a shadow is you don't know how to say, wait a minute, let's stop, let's slow down or create a boundary or create safe container for yourself. And so you're often overriding signals of your body that say, wait, stop, slow down. And then that creates buildup and resentment in the body and can lead to more shutdown instead of opening up mm -hmm. and creating these super high states of arousal, which are possible for you in this blueprint. Are either of you energetic? I am primarily energetic and have been the most of my life a super high energetic. So I can have hundreds of orgasms in a <laughs> sitting. I can have orgasms without being touched. I can have multidimensional orgasms. I can have energetic, like in my energy body orgasms. I can have all kinds of out there transcendent experiences mm -hmm. of moving sexual energy through my body. So it's been, it's been an access point for me since I was very little. And I somewhat suspect, I think that this is the blueprint that has the most trauma in their histories. Um, I somewhat suspect that the trauma teaches us how to dissociate and the trauma teaches us how to go into transcendental states and, and realms because we're escaping something negative that was happening to us in our childhoods. And so we learned how to go out of our body and actually it's safer oftentimes out of our body than in our body and more pleasurable out of our body than in our body. And so we've learned to develop these sort of out of body skills that, can help us have extraordinary orgasmic worlds that we go into. Yeah. And for me, um, energetic was not one of my primary blueprints. So we talk about primary, secondary, tertiary, uh, and one of the blueprint types is all of them combined. But the, um, for me, energetic was, was not way up on my list. Uh, and over the last four years, I have expanded quite a bit into the energetic blueprint and being able to ha have those same experiences. So if you're not energetic to start, anybody will talk about this, but anybody can expand into, as Ian said, he was totally skeptical. He was like, what? Oh, this is weird what stuff, is this weird energetic stuff? orgasms. And I can't, I'm not touching you and you're being aroused. Like, oh, please. <laughs> That's just woo woo and, weird. And now he's having them himself. Yes. So, <laughs> so yeah. since, uh, since Jaya is more energetic for Ian, does he need to touch more into the, his energetic side in order to be able to uh, meet you at your level? Or does he just have to play into your own energetic state? He can play mostly into my state. Um, he's learned a lot of how to do this. And so just hovering his hands over my body, for example, is enough for me. I'm pretty easy. I can sing my own instrument. So <laughs> um, if I didn't have that skill, I'd have, I'd rely on him more, but I learned very young, you know, how to play my own instrument and, 
how to really sing myself. I don't need anyone else to play me really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) With all the different people that have gone through the blueprint, have you broken down each uh, uh, type into a percentage of how many people are in it? Well, it may be a little bit reflective of the people who are attracted to this work. Mm -hmm. We find that our higher percentages are energetic and sensual coming to us and but in and sexual is up there um kinky i think there's uh, there's a suppression in our list numbers for that because we've had over a hundred thousand people take the assessment um and i think there's a bit of a suppression on that statistic because there's a lot of people who do not want to admit that that's (laughs) what they're attracted to you know there's a lot of shame that shows up it shows up later when we do the on the body testing which um the body in my opinion doesn't lie so the mind could easily say oh i'm not a tra- i'm not turned on i'm not that. In, i'm not turned on to that that's but, not my thing but then uh later on we we see a shift in people's bodies when they do a different testing that we have which we call the ab game um so we see a little bit different results there and a lot more people go oh i'm kinky (laughs) 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 is one of the blueprint types yes so uh we should probably talk about we should probably go into the you want to go into the next one yeah i have a certain order order that we usually (laughs) talk about them in so we can talk about sensual next which is ian ian was primarily sensual Mm-hmm. And so sensual is someone who's turned on by all of their senses being ignited. That's the smells, the tastes, the sounds, the, you know, the music, the romance. These are the things that really ignite this blueprint. And where the, where the energetic has distance and space in their touch, the sensual really likes that deep contouring mm-hmm. touch and cuddling and, and being, full body. being all up in your grill. That's where <laughs> that's they feel. I, that's what I say to Ian. You're all up in my grill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, because my energetic wants all that space and he wants to cuddle. Right. You know, so, so uh, in the superpowers of the sensual, we have, they bring the beauty to the, to the erotic experience. They bring the flowers and the bath and the smells and the, the music. The perfect temperature and, and the candlelight. It's and- all beautiful in the space. And so they can bring the environment. They also bring that delicious, yummy body to body, full on head to toe sensuality. You know, they're, they're the one who wants to bring the licking from the toe, to toe, like your erotic canvas that they're drawing on with their tongue. You know, it's, it's delicious. It's yummy. It's art. And so there's this artful mastery in the, the sensual, they can have non-genital orgasm. So behind the knee or an ear or a neck, you know, and you're or like, with food, like eating a strawberry. Mm-hmm. Oh my <laughs> God, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> so they moan out loud frequently, not aware that they're doing it. They wear often, you know, like fabrics that are furry and mm-hmm. soft different layers and, and all sorts of textures on their body. Yes. And so then we get into the shadow of the sensual. However, when they're deeply embodied, they have all this amazing sexuality, but the shadow of it is that they get caught in their heads a lot. So caught in the head, all those voices in your head start talking. We talked about that shame part. You know, it's that part that says, oh, you know, is everything okay down there when he's mm. going down on you? Do I smell okay? <laughs> um, what about the cellulite on my butt? You know, like you're thinking about all these things instead of enjoying what's happening in your body or you're thinking about the socks or you're worried about the- socks on the, the bedroom floor or that <laughs> list of things that didn't get done at work. And if the sensual gets caught up in their head, they're dead. Yeah. So it's the, it's the 
often the sensual access, like what I discovered about my sensual is that it's not necessarily my erotic turn on, like leading to my orgasm or, or, or that sort of thing. But what it is, is my access to being able to be relaxed enough to get in mm-hmm. touch with my turn on. So essential needs to relax in order to get into erotic space. Mm-hmm. And the, the sensual will, sometimes is afraid of mess, you know, so like cleaning a little bit. That's one secret. Like mm-hmm. just clean up the room for the sensual <laughs> a little bit because everything in the room is yelling at them saying, I'm not right. And make sure you brush your teeth and mm-hmm. like those kinds of things because hygiene and smell, they can just get so turned off. Lip gloss is like essential something to I, I see over and over again, like have the lip gloss handy for your, for your sensual partner. Um, okay, great. So the next one is the sexual and the sexual is someone who's turned on by what we think of in our culture. It's penetration, it's orgasm, genitals. it's genitals, it's nudity. And they're, they're oftentimes very visual. So they like to see visuals of what we consider sex, what we consider eroticism. I'll go to the shadow, which is the shadow is this limited definition of sex. Sex means I have an erection. Sex means I penetrated you. Sex means I had an orgasm at the and end. And you had an orgasm. And you so had an orgasm. Everybody's happy and we're perfectly, this is success. Yay. It's, that is success. <laughs> and that is what sex means. And as you've already learned, there's two other blueprints for whom penetration never even needs to happen for the sensual or the energetic. Mm-hmm. So do you, um, do you think a lot of people st- or start out as sexual because they learn from like porn or stuff like that? And then as they start to develop in their own bodies, then they start exploring these other uh, types? So what I, what I call that is sexual masking, which is where you think this is the way that you should be. I see this mostly with male-bodied people, with people who um, identify as masculine or male gender. And they, it's because the culture says this is how you are supposed to behave. And so that sexual mask gets puts on, put on. And if you're not that, then you go, something's wrong with me. We've had countless men who go like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just <laughs> understood why I felt so out of my own body because I'm an energetic and I've been trying to play this sexual thing mm-hmm. for my entire life. And so I thought I wasn't a man. You know, mm-hmm. and, and that's not what we see is true. You know, when we when we look at the hundred thousand people who've done our quiz, there are men who are sensual. There are men who are energetic. There are men who are, are all. It is not that the majority yeah. of men are sexual at all is what we see. And mm-hmm. so this this really does a disservice in our culture that we've labeled men as easy and you know they're all sexual. All I, dogs wanting to get laid and, and get and, right to the orgasm. And I had this. I had a client client that I was working with who his wife was a sexual blueprint. I was a sexual blueprint. I I'm, I was highest in sexual for about ten years. That my blueprint recently shifted, but I was highest in sexual for ten years. And Ian is not. His sexual on his quiz was zero percent. My sexual wow. was like 42%. Mm-hmm. And so here I am with a partner who I'm expecting. I'm like, I'm offering you oral sex every night. And he's like, I don't want that. And I'm like, well, something's wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore something's wrong with our relationship. And, and, you know, and, and we're not having sex two, three times a day. Something's wrong with our relationship. You know, <laughs> like we need to be having that much sex because to a sexual sex is like water. It's like food. It's, it's air. We have sex in order to relax, we're the opposite of the sensual, where everything feels right in our world as long as we're having orgasms. We're happy mm-hmm. <laughs> with that orgasmic experience as 
asexual, that is a need. It's, it's not just some, you know, people say, oh, I don't really need that much sex. For a sexual, they do. And, and so this was really important to me that we're having sex every day, that I'm having orgasms every day because sex was so, it, I had so much importance on it, but it was also my main blueprint. What four or 10 years was the sexual blueprint. And I just wanted to get to it. I would walk into the room with Ian and I would say, chop, chop, come on, get it up. Get it up. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> this is going nowhere fast. And I didn't understand because I, and I, I actually did that after I understood, but <laughs> even after I knew, um, because I'm still speaking for my blueprint, but, but what was funny was I just wouldn't understand. And I had female clients who would be sexual and they would go, you know, Hey, wait a minute. I don't understand why my guy doesn't want me because we see it as a total rejection of ourself when our partner doesn't want to have sex with us, the, the sexuals. And so she would be on the bed naked. And this woman is gorgeous, like long legs, supermodel, you know, just amazingly gorgeous. And she's on the bed and she's naked and her partner walks in and he does not see a naked woman on the, on the bed because he is not a sexual. He does not see a naked woman on the bed. He sees the socks on the floor and the socks on the floor make him think of the laundry that's not done. And the laundry, you know, like, like this whole thing, because he was in sensual shadow. He was mainly a sensual man in, in the shadow and therefore couldn't see the beautiful woman. What was blocking him. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talk about with the blueprints, we still have a couple more to go through, but the, the one of the primary things about this is this ability to honor your partner. It's this way of seeing them and honoring who they are mm-hmm. in their sexuality, as opposed to getting caught up in like the, the criticism of self or the criticism of other. <laughs> like when I go chop, chop, Ian can go, oh, that's just Jai's blueprint. That's just Jai's blueprint. When in the middle of sex, Ian jumps up and has to go fix the music, I can go, oh, oh. that's just his sensual. Mm-hmm. Instead of being angry, upset, mad, having resentment building up. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so se- sexual superpowers. We got to talk about the superpowers. We talked a lot about shadow stuff. But zero to sixty. <laughs> they can go to zero to sixty in no time. Arousal is quick. Um, they're just fun. It's about fun. fun. It's about simplicity. Like you, when you're with a sexual person, that's where you go. It's into play, mm-hmm. and there's not no complications in the arrangement. They bring a bit of the shame free. There can be shame in the shadow side, but they bring a in the positive. They bring that shame free. Like, what's the big deal? And sex is like pizza. You know, like sex is like having a drink of coffee. It's mm-hmm. just part of our experience, and it's the thing that brings joy, success, relaxation into the picture. So. Mm. Okay, let's talk about the next one, which is kinky. So if you're writing down, this is our fourth one. And uh, kinky is someone who's turned on by taboo. And that means whatever's taboo for you. Mm -hmm. So taboo often and kinky often in our society is associated with whips and chains and dark Dark dungeons dungeons. and the sort of the dark aspect of sexuality. And it very much includes that. But our, our definition is quite broad. And it is whatever is taboo for you. So let's say you're a couple who's been having intercourse in missionary position for 30 years and doing having sex doggy style is like way out there and, and completely out of it's the bounds. It's super naughty. It's super naughty. <laughs> that can be your kink. That can indicate mm-hmm. like a thing like, oh, the things that I can't have or I've been told that I can't have, those are the things that really turn me on. Shame breeds the kinky blueprint in some ways. You know, what are the things that are taboo or shameful? Mm-hmm. Um, it sometimes it can give freedom to those shames, you know, okay, if I'm tied up and someone has power over me, mm-hmm. then I can suddenly break free and have that orgasm that I couldn't have without that because someone's sort of forcing the orgasm on me. This is all with consent. 
you know, that, that, that would be a conversation you would have before you do something like that, that yes, I'm agreeing to being tied up. Yes. I'm agreeing to being, you know, having someone else control my orgasm. That would all happen in the consensual context. So the kinky superpowers, there are two different types of kinky. There's psychological kinky and there's sensation-based kinky. Now Ian's highest score with kinky on his blueprint map. My, my zero was kinky. Mm-hmm. So you can see, you know, this was Ian and I, before we knew blueprints, I'd come to bed at night. I'd grab his stuff. Genitals. <laughs> I'd t- start touching his genitals. I'd say, let's have sex. He'd go, eh, not turned on. Yeah. And this is what, you know, we've recently had a son. So life had become our child. It had mm-hmm. become stressful at this time, at this time in our mm-hmm. life. So there's a lot of overwhelm. My sensual was having no time to relax because financial things were in jeopardy. The, our relationship was struggling because Jaya had physical issues that had, had arisen from the pregnancy and sex meant pain to her. Mm-hmm. So I was reticent to, to have sex with her because it, it meant I was reinforcing pain to me. So we had, we had many blocks going on at the time and our relationship was really taking a nosedive. There was a lot, like mm-hmm. the chasm was growing between us and literally Jaya was like, had her foot out the door. Because mm-hmm. we weren't having enough sex. It was her career. There's a sense of like, oh my God, I'm a failure in my relationship and in my career. And I'm and for me, I was going and down. And this is after I'd been practicing for many years, you know, just hearing I think people hearing that here's a sexologist and I was really struggling after the birth of my son. And and I felt like I couldn't get here's this is sexual point of view, right? I'm taking striptease class. I'm coming home like dancing around in my G string and no interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm touching his genitals, no interest. Like what is wrong? And I started turning it in on myself that okay, he just doesn't find me attractive anymore after having a baby, or you know, maybe I'm damaged in some way. And I would cry myself to sleep at night. I'd roll over to my side of the bed and cry myself to sleep after being rejected again. And then he would come cuddle with me and I'd think, God, he's cuddling again. He just wants to go to sleep. Oh my God. You know, like, cause I wasn't registering that cuddling to him meant initiating sex. That was my way of coming on so that we could start to get close and get the nurturing feeling together. I wanted certainty that we were going to have sex and that would take away a lot of the, um, you know, wanting to, he just to be relaxed. I didn't, yeah. and... I didn't want to have certainty that we were going to have to have sex, that we we're going to reach, go to orgasm. <laughs> I just wanted to relax, connect, and then open to sexuality as a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys can see how not knowing your blueprints, not knowing, you know, and, and, and knowing that he was kinky, that didn't come until I was writing a book on kink. I got assigned to write a book on kink. And I should have suspected, but I didn't even have kink in one of my blueprints. That's how blocked I was to to this whole thing. And so finding out that Ian was kinky through me writing a book started to be a huge turnaround because now I could feed his blueprints, speak his language. And I saw turn on out of him like I'd never saw before. It wasn't that I needed to dance around in a G-string and be all sexy for him and visual. We needed some ropes. I needed some rope. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, um, you know, Ian was really loved restraint. So Ian is both psychological kinky and sensation based. Let me describe those so people are listening can kind of start to think about that as their type psychological is turned on by the power dynamic so i'm as i started developing my kinky side in order to you know as i started learning that language of kink i realized that i was psychological based which ties into my energetic strong energetic blueprint and so ian would do something like have me stand across the room and position you know say like you know 
stick out your butt or stick your butt, lift your lift leg, your leg, arch your back, you know, or or touch yourself in a so certain way. So bossing her around essentially. And that was really a huge turn on because someone I was giving someone power over me, over my sexuality, and that created a lot of polarity and dynamic in our relationship that created a lot of aliveness. We just couldn't walk into a room without smiling at each other. And this was after we'd had all the struggle. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden we're lit up as we like started. new lovers. I mean, it really yeah. reinvigorated things to uh, beyond actually new lovers, because mm-hmm. we now had a language to really honor each other and get turned on by what, what turned us on. Mm-hmm. And so then the sensation-based kinky is someone who's turned on more by the, the spanking or the sensation of ropes and the heavy restraint or even the more, you know, intense things of piercing or, or cutting and, mm-hmm. you know, some of the more uh, dark arts. Okay. And, everybody and breathe. Take a breath. <laughs> and those are things that people are turned on by, you know, and so this is part of it too, is the acceptance. I just want to give everybody permission that if no matter what, that this is, you can be accepted in your sexuality as long as it is consensual, as long as you're learning how to play safe and sane and in a, in a place of you are a yes and I am a yes and we've had the discussion and we know what we're playing in, that your turn-ons can be a route to transcendence, especially in some of these realms that we judge as these dark realms in sexuality. They can be amazing opportunities for healing. And I found through, we did a, a kinky experiment where I was surrendered for 40 days to Ian. He was surrendered to me for 40 days. But in my surrender, I had a really hard time surrendering because I had a lot of abuse growing up. And it took me 32 days to surrender to Ian and to actually allow him to have power in, in over me in some sense in our sexuality. Because I, and I, and through those 32 days though, I healed. I was healing trauma that I experienced as a child. And I never thought kink would be a place where I would find a lot of healing of that developmental trauma that I experienced. And so it was a profound experience to go through and start to reclaim some of these, these edges and playing in the edges and and playing in these spaces. So I just invite everybody to breathe as as we say something that might feel like, ah, triggering, (laughs) or, you know, I've been talking about trauma, keep breathing, keep, and that's one way to just kind of help you, you work through training, uh, shame or the things that might trigger you as we talk about this. And, and that leads to the shadow side of the kinky, which is, Deep shame is a deep shame of I am weird. I something is wrong with me because I like these things. Why does this turn me on? Yep. Uh, That was one of my big things in going deeply into this. I knew that I had, you know, kinky desires and um, it, it was part of my turn on from my teenage years. And I certainly didn't know how deep it went because I'd never allowed myself with permission to explore as deeply as we did with our 4040 kink experiment mm-hmm. that we did. But underneath was this shame of like, wait, why does this turn me on? And, and, and maybe I was abused in my past. You know, there's this kind of a mythology that the abuse, I was the, I had kinky, but I, I did not have kinky and I was the, I had the abuse. Ian didn't have any abuse in his history. So he's like, well, what's, what's wrong with me? That I, right. <laughs> Why is this thing know? so prevalent? And, in and we really have to separate that out because it's not true. They've actually done research that people who are into kink are more mentally, they have greater mental health than a lot of us who don't. So, and better communication skill. So superpowers, great communication skill, endless creativity, transcendental orgasms, similar to an energetic where they can go into something called subspace, where they go into altered states of consciousness, uh, which are deeply, deeply relaxing, can be restorative, can be healing. Um, 
so they can have non-genital orgasms. They can have non-penetration oriented orgasms, some very similar to an energetic in the, their ability to experience transcendence through sexual experience. Mm-hmm. Back when Fifty Shades of Grey came out, I feel like that's when a lot of people's inner kink started coming out. Yes, yes it gave yeah. societal permission. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, super interesting. Okay, what's that fifth fifth one? <laughs> all right, so the fifth one is called a shapeshifter. So if you heard yourself in all of these blueprints, if you were like, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's I me. That. I, I, I that. have I all that. of that. Um, you, then you probably are a shapeshifter. So shapeshifters are turned on by everything. They, they love it all. They can't get enough. Um, (laughs) and when I mean they can't get enough, it's literally like I've watched a shapeshifter with eight hands and toys and three hours later. And I'm like, do you give yet? And they're like, no, no, that's just the beginning. (laughs) We're just just getting started. So you know, shapeshifters in their superpower, they have a huge capacity for pleasure. Mm -hmm. They have an ability that I'm, I'm in awe of shapeshifters and their capacity for pleasure. They just have an ability to just have more, 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 more. It's like the smorgasbord of smorgasbords and mm-hmm. they can just have it all. Sing it all. They're like, they're, they're like a Stradivarius violin mm-hmm. in terms of the quality of the instrument that they possess. Or a hyper sports car for those of you who relate to sports cars. They're one of those like $3.7 million sports cars that like. A Bugatti know, or a. Needs the best fuel ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're a Koenigsegg, you know, in the, in the sports car arena. So this, this idea of a fine instrument and the fine instrument needs a master musician to play them oftentimes. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so you're the shapeshifter becoming very articulate in all of the blueprints yep. is a vital thing to be able to honor your partner. Um, and then for shapeshifters, they often have heard that throughout their life, they've shut down because they've heard, I'm too much. You're too big. You need too much from me. Yeah. And that has had them feel ashamed about their own uh, incredible desire, voraciousness for erotic experience and erotic mm-hmm. expression. And when we dive into the shadow parts of the shape shifter, you know, they, they will often tr- change who they are. They'll, they'll morph to feed their partner because maybe their partner is primarily sensual and that's all that they know how to communicate in. And this shapeshifter will shut down all these other aspects of themselves to just be the sensual for their partner. And therefore they start to feel starved and mm-hmm. left alone and uh, completely unsatisfied and potentially resentful in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And I'll say it's also a superpower that the shapeshifter can shift. They can become masterful lovers because they're consistently shifting to mm-hmm. please other people. And if I had my druthers, the whole world would become shapeshifters right? because then we just have a lot of hot, satisfactory sex in the world <laughs> because we would have endless vocabulary and endless creativity and endless aliveness. That's essentially what the shapeshifter represents is we can play anywhere. We can do anything. We can have it all. There are endless possibilities in eroticism. And it's true. I mean, just the kinky blueprint alone, I could spend the next 10 years learning and not learn everything that there is to learn within the realm of kink because there's so much to experience and explore. I could go to the energetic and be like, okay, look at all the multidimensional orgasms we can have mm-hmm. and, and orgasmic possibilities that are there. So when you look at a shapeshifter, they have the capacity for all of those positive aspects of the blueprints. On the flip side, there's kind of like a six type, I even think that's called a shadow shapeshifter. And it's somebody who has the shadow of every single type and none of the positives. 
And that's just, what do we do with that? You know, what are the next steps? And we, we can talk about sort of next steps now that you know all these blueprints, but I want to pause and see if yes. you have any questions. <laughs> it just, there's a big download. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, um, I'm definitely curious. So as shapeshifter, they can be any of the blueprints at any given time, right? Yes, yes. they can be and any, sometimes all of them, all, all, of them, at, once. all at once. <laughs> so that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I need to go back and do the quiz, but I was thinking I was a shapeshifter, but I feel like mine comes more in waves. So it's like one week I'm one blueprint and then another week I'm a different blueprint and I never feel like I have mm -hmm. all of them at once. So would that still be considered a shapeshifter or would that be some something else? I think it could be. I think one of the ways that I really define a shapeshifter is the voraciousness and the unquenchable thirst that shows up for some a shapeshifter. They just, they just want more and more. They can take more and more. It's sort of an endless desire for more. And, and I would say too, that with the shapeshifter, it's, it is important to know your stack. And this is a more advanced piece because, and also kind of what your secondary blueprint is. Cause if you're an energetic shapeshifter, that's very different from a sexual shapeshifter. Sexual shapeshifters are the most voracious of all. Yeah. Um, whereas an energetic shapeshifter, there's going to be more of like, it is, it is a, a sports car that you need that master brushstroke with. Mm -hmm. Whereas a sexual shapeshifter might just be like, okay, I'll let anybody drive my car. Mm -hmm. you know? Like, mm -hmm. so, so there's, there's there's differences based upon what the whole blueprint map looks like and how your blueprint is stacked. And so what you might be doing is you might be stacking your weeks and not know it consciously. So like week one, I'm an energetic because that's my access in. And then week two, I'm a kinky because that's my next blueprint in my list. So when you go to take the quiz, it'll show you the percentages of it. Actually, are you pure shapeshifter or are you like energetic, sensual, kinky, sexual, and you just need them stacked in a certain way, but they're all very close in percentages. Mm -hmm. um, and I do want to speak to next steps because now that you guys know your blueprints and those of you who are listening, you can go take the, the assessment or the quiz. Um, they'll give you the URL, I'm sure, put it in the show notes somewhere, but go take that. And then also just listening today, you may have kind of a, a clue of what that may be. But I also say that the body, because the body doesn't lie, playing on the body, learning some of the games which we teach in our course can be really helpful for that. And your next steps are learn how to feed. So feeding the blueprint is is really what's the touch that you love? What's going to really have you feel satiated? What's going to have you feel satisfied and being able to feed that? Speak the blueprint. So speak is what are the words? What's the body language? What's the vocal tone that each blueprint really loves? Because that's a way of honoring each other outside the bedroom and inside the bedroom as well. Or like, what are those hot key words that are going to just really ignite things, have you feel fed, but even your body language with a certain yeah. blueprint is really important. Mm -hmm. And then healing the blueprint. This is healing those shadow aspects we talked about. Um, Emily Nagaski in her book, Come As You Are, talks about the accelerator and the brakes. Uh, what a lot of research points to is the brakes are more important to address than putting more fuel on the fire. Because if you've got a break, you're constantly smothering the fire with a blanket. And the break uh, is like the shadow side or the shame side, the mm -hmm. thing that stops you from engaging the thing that gets you turned on mm -hmm. uh, and keeps you from being fully erotically expressed. Right. So that might be the getting caught in your head or being hypersensitive so much that you can't receive any touch. Or, or shame about your kinky sexuality mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or your two orgasm or, you know, you focus on the goal and mm -hmm. the outcome. You're not really getting the full sexual expression and your partner is left with resentment. Right. So these would be the breaks in your sexuality. 
And then we finally have after heal and, and heal can also be, I look at these four categories. You guys are a wellness show, so you'll get, so you'll get this, but we're looking at the physical body, what's happening in the physical body. So if there's erectile dysfunction or, um, you know, you just don't feel aroused ever, we're looking at things like what's happening with scar tissue in the body and hormonal health. Hormone, well, that's the biochemistry. Yeah. So physical, we want to go into like scar tissue, flexibility, injuries, injury, um, are the muscles weakened in the pelvic floor? We're looking at those kinds of things. We're going to biochemistry. We're looking, like Ian said, at the hormones and neurotransmitter dominance. We're looking at the chemistry between two people. When we're going into energetics, we're looking at the energy system and the chakras, and we're looking at energetic blocks and electromagnetic sensitivity, things like that. And then we have the emotional level and and that level of kind of what's happening in the belief systems and uh, traumas in the history. We've talked about that a lot. So in healing, we're looking at becoming an erotic detective so that we can really heal those things that block us from our, our erotic potential. And when I say this, I don't say this. And when I talk about superpowers, I don't say it because anybody's broken. I say it because I know what's possible. And if you want to go for what's possible, awesome. If you're like, I'm cool, cool. Awesome. Like you don't have to, like nobody's broken here. Nobody has to reach their full erotic potential in their life. But if you want to, awesome, we're here. <laughs> and then the final Final next step would be after healing would be learning how to expand the blueprint. And that's expanding into new territory. That's going into, okay, I, me personally, Jaya, I was a sexual energetic mm -hmm. and Ian was a kinky sensual. We both learned, Ian learned how to expand into energetics and he could speak my primary blueprint. He learned how to expand into sexual. By the time he fully expanded into sexual, I was no longer fully sexual. My blueprint <laughs> had, had changed. And I became mostly energetic sensual. So right now, currently, as of this date today, I am more an energetic, energetic sensual. sensual. And then your blueprint has shifted. A I'm bit. moving more into shapeshifter. I would say I'm currently kinky is, is very still very dominant as my access to my turn on. Um, and but the other ones have kind of you pretty equaled, much have access. To everything yeah, I have now. access to everything. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting because here I am, I can give as a shapeshifter because of my work, because of what I've done. But in receiving and in my sex life with Ian, I am far from being a shapeshifter still. At the, yes. At the moment. At this moment, at in, this time. moment in time. So quick question for Jaya. Um, yeah. <laughs> so does that mean you don't mind cuddling as much anymore? <laughs> I like cuddling now. I love cuddling now. <laughs> Actually, I want to cuddle more, like, more than actual have like intercourse now, mm -hmm. which is interesting because... And it's, it's interesting to watch because now we cuddle, we cuddle a lot now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I'm okay that we're not having sex two times a day. I said this to Ian the other day. It's just so interesting how much I tied that to, you know, I got to have sex two times a day or else I'm unsuccessful as a sexologist. Like it became such a number because of the blueprinting, right? I mean, I would count, I would mark in the calendar the days we had sex and I would be like, oh my God, it's been five days since we had sex. And back when we were in our struggle, you know, I'd go, oh my God, it's been two weeks since we've had sex. And I would get pissy and angry and not nice. And that did not create hot and heat. He is heatness didn't between create connections. <laughs> did not create the connection that I wanted. And now I'm so relaxed. I'm just like, okay, we can cuddle. We can whatever. It doesn't matter. Mm. <laughs> you know, like, cause the cuddling is now feeding me. And I recognize now how much that, that, you know, my energetic and my sensual don't even need intercourse. I feel fulfilled just in the, the connection. Right. For a couple of weeks, I was coming to bed now with the question of, of certainty. Like, are we going to have sex? Are we going to have an <laughs> orgasm? <laughs> we literally switched. And, 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 and Jaya was 
mirroring exactly my words back to me. Oh, I just want to kind of find out what happens. And see what I'm, I'm open to it and see what unfolds. <laughs> I'm like, oh. <laughs> so that's something huge that I've pulled from this conversation too, is the fact that I think so many people have a difficult time relaxing and actually like really being mm. present with their partner and letting everything else from their day, whether it's their family, whether it's work, like anything that's going on, I feel like so many people have a hard time basically delving into that relaxation piece. Yeah. So we talk a lot about in the coursework and in our online community, we talk, it's a primary thing actually in our company, our first, our first um, core belief, core value in our company is pleasure first. So it's this concept of being able to value pleasure in order to prioritize it. Mm -hmm. And because, you know, our culture has a mythology that, oh, sex is just, uh, you know, it's spontaneous. And if we're really in love with each other, we can't keep our, it'll happen. And we can't keep our hands off each other. And there's all sorts of biochemical reasons as to why, you know, you have this experience in the first one to two years of your relationship where like, it's all hot and heavy and we're, we can't get enough of each other. It's called limerence. You're literally programmed to have that period of can't keep each, it's procreation. Like that's where the babies get made in those first couple of years. So um, when that starts to wear off, what are the strategies? What are the tools? What are the ways that you can keep your relationship hot, keep the polarity there and keep your connection up? And it really does take prioritization. Like it may seem unsexy to schedule sex, but we create all sorts of frameworks around creating sex life challenges or sexy sex labs where it's an opportunity to really set time aside and explore and explore and be relaxed about it and be relaxed <laughs> and, and create like, Hey, this is our sacred time mm-hmm. away from the family, the kids, the job so that we're honoring each other and honoring the relationship first. Mm-hmm. And I'll say if for the sensuals, cause this is a central blueprinting thing of like, I can't relax. I can't relax. Um, I would say that having toggles, I'm going to give you homework for that. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be toggles. And toggles are things that help you move and transition from life space into erotic space. Is it putting on something that like a robe or something that just feels silky and amazing? Is it taking in that hot bath? Is it getting Shutting a off massage? the cell phone and the computer and putting on the perfect music that mm-hmm. puts you in the mood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause I was going to ask um, when you see a sensual start, coming out of their state, how do you pull them back in? So creating that little switch that, um, you know, forget about everything else that needs to get done for a little while and just stay in this moment. I think that would be really helpful. And I think let me what, one thing on that, I think Brian, you mean with coming out of their state, like heading into their shadow, isn't that what you mean? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Like if you're, you know, trying to get things rolling and then all of a sudden you see them looking at the sock on the floor or thinking about all the laundry, <laughs> they have to do, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things Ian and I used to do would we would do like a little dump, we'd call it like just kind of like a little brain dump before mm-hmm. we moved into erotic space of like, okay, what's everything you need. I do this when, when I demonstrate with sensuals, I'll bring a sensual up on stage at our events and I'll say, okay, what's everything you need to feel amazing in this moment? And they'll, they'll be like, okay, the lights are too bright. We have the whole, like, the, the, the teams the in the back, like, turning the lights I down. need a blanket. I need something fuzzy to yeah. hold on yeah, to. Yeah, or I need a blindfold. And we, so everybody, like, the whole team starts scrambling around the room, you know? Okay, do you want the audience to be quiet? And we just create, like, what end of the massage table do you want your head? What needs to be, like, fixed in the space? 
and they'll tell you. They'll just go like da da da. Just to take that ten five minutes. That needs to change. That. That's wrong. The uh, volume's too we high. We need to move that piece of furniture. I mean, the, the the most interesting things. But then once all that's set, then they're like, okay, <sighs> now I'm ready, mm-hmm. and and then we can move into that erotic space. But it's just taking that five ten minutes to say, okay, well, how's the temperature? How's my breath? How's you know? Mm-hmm. How are the blankets? And and that is the foreplay. That is the the eroticism right there. That is the turn on for the sensuals. My knees are being taken care of because oftentimes they're not speaking up and they they believe that their needs are ridiculous. It's ridiculous that I need to move that piece of furniture. It's ridiculous that I need my lip gloss right now. They're judging and so Mm. they're in a non-accepting place. So those voices just get louder because they're in a non-acceptance of their own things that they're saying need to be fixed in their head. Mm. So that's an ultimate honoring and care for your sensual partner is to be asking them those questions and to learn what their toggles are. If you really want to have them be open mm-hmm. and, you know, you, th- those can be the beginnings of a date night where they're walking into the room and you completely set the set the environment. You've picked the right restaurant or the right food. You've really set it up for them. And then if in the middle of the throes of awesomeness and like they're about to reach orgasm is another shadow of the central they're about to get there and oh the orgasm goes away and then the thought comes in about it and then you know it's kind of a downward spiral if that starts to happen i go back to sensation focus on sensation change things up don't keep doing the same thing you've been doing in that moment move away check in go to you know something different that might be even kinky because sometimes the kink, sensation-based kink can bring them back into their body. So like a little slap to the inner thigh with consent or, you know, something that's like a, a sensation play item that you have that can help bring them back into the present moment. Or it's, it's a check-in, it's a stop and go, you know, we think sex is a straight line. No, it can be a like, let's stop, let's check in, let's get back online so that the arousal can keep building. Mm-hmm. Whisper sweet nothings in each other's ears for a little bit. And then I can start going down on you again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think people like understanding this blueprint and understanding who you are and who your partner is. I think that is so vital to keeping, um, you know, relationships and the the spark alive. And that's why Sarah and I really wanted to bring you both on here is because, you know, we just got married four months ago and we want to keep that passion going. Thank you. Um, (laughs) But we know that it seems like most relationships get to a point where it stalls out at some point. And so we want to make sure uh, we can keep it going. And I think understanding the blueprints is a big part of that. So Thank you both for Yeah, it's the foundation. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, so for people, next steps, they can go to the eroticbreakthrough.com slash SFW to take the quiz and to discover their blueprint. And then um, after that, there is opportunity to join your erotic blueprint breakthrough course as well. So can you talk about, is that an eight-week program or what is that? Yeah. Yeah, so that's an eight-week program. Um, it's a step-by-step uh, process where it's about discovering your own br- blueprint, really getting clear about your own turn-ons and starting to be- learn the language so that you can articulate to your partner or partners, your, the people you're dating or your long-term partner, who you are erotically, and then stepping into being able to determine other people's blueprints. So it's an opportunity to really learn the language and the, and the cues and the signs and the way to actually draw the conversation out of a lover to find out who they are. Uh, we get into games, which are you know physical mm-hmm. ways of discovering it. So it's not just a mind game and trying to figure it out with the brain, but really getting into the brain. 
And for, for me, it's, it's really important that we have somatic practice. I'm a somatic sexologist, which means it's in the body. So we're not just talking about sex. We're actually giving you things to do. We, Ian and I invite you into our bedroom, um, you know, <laughs> literally to, to show you, like, here's how to touch an energetic. Here's how to play with this. And we go through feeding, speaking, healing, and expanding into new blueprint territory throughout the course. Mm-hmm. And yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's so much to say about that, but yes, it's a real deep dive. And we also built around it as a community. Um, That's one this- of the most amazing things is having a community to, to rid ourselves of shame. Really. We have quite a few people and it's, a, it's an incredible community of our own coaches. We have just people who've been through the course three, four five times. They take it over and over again mm-hmm. because it's, it's valuable and they get new things out of it each time. And having that community available. One of the things that's truly unique about our community is we are speaking to everybody's sexuality. So there's a lot of valuable, there's a lot of value to be found in a lot of the teachers who who are out there teaching sexuality, but often they're focused on what we would say is one of the blueprints. They're focused on Tantra or they're compartmentalized compartmentalized into the kink realm Mm -hmm. or, you know, sex and sexuality is about orgasm and porn and, you know, the um, uh, more sexual blueprint, more sexual blueprinted kind of stuff that's out there Mm -hmm. all over the place. And within our community, everybody's talking all the languages. Here's something I really want people to get. I was a sexologist with hundreds of sex techniques. I had written books on oral sex, erotic massage, sexual positions. I had all those things when Ian and I were struggling and it wasn't more sex techniques that turned things around for us. It was understanding these blueprints and putting into place these pleasure practices and prioritizing that really shifted things for us as principal pleasure first more than anything else. So, you know, what I've learned through this process as a sexologist is sex techniques are great once you know somebody's blueprint. But if I have a sex technique and I'm trying it on somebody and it's not their blueprint, that's not necessarily going to work. So that's that's what I think the most value is in understanding your erotic map. Yep. And oh, sure. in the course, uh, it can be taken by individuals and couples, correct? Oh, yes. Yes. Yep. And singles, we really recommend, you know, if you're single and you're listening to this, it's great because when you're dating, you can start to just see like as you're at dinner or something, oh, I think they're an energetic. And you'll know now how to start to just play outside the bedroom as well. And and I've had people say, you know, I really messed up stuff because I, I was approaching everything from my own blueprint. And now that I know the blueprints, I can watch, I can see, and I can really honor somebody in who for who they are. Yeah. And the other thing that will come up for singles is like, oh, I really want to wait until I have a partner so that I can do this. Or they may uh, have a sense of sometimes feeling alone in the practices, but we really look at our eroticism as it's, it's, it's you, you, you are an erotic being, whether you're in a partnership or not. And imagine crafting your relationships from a place of empowerment where I know who I am and I know what turns my, me on and I can tell a partner exactly what to do to get to to get me to those states of erotic ecstasy. And imagine like me that you can sing your own instrument. So no matter who plays with it, you're in an orgasmic state. <laughs> so, uh-huh. you know, I mean, that's and it's not a place you have to get to, but it's a place, you know, that that I've thoroughly enjoyed in my life is I don't need a partner Sorry, Ian. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't need a partner to turn me on. The wind can blow the right way, and I'm turned on because I'm turned on by all of life. To me, sexual turn on is aliveness. I'm so alive that I can I can find turn on in any moment, even even the hardest moments. I can sometimes find turn on in, 
because I'm learning that everything is pleasurable. I just had an experience recently with this where I was ill and I was like, can I make this, the thing I hate most is throwing up. And I really, really hate it. Can I turn this into pleasure? And I was able to do it. I was able to take something I hate and go, what's the pure experience of this? Oh my God, it's amazing. And I was just like laughing my head off while I was throwing up, hugging the toilet (laughs) because I was in pleasure. And it's because I could find the aliveness and the pleasure and the pure energy of something and, and translate it into pleasure anywhere that I go. So not needing anybody to have your pleasure can be a really great place. Makes to it very be. empowering. Mm-hmm. You're not searching from a place of need or lack. It's a place of I'm fulfilled and I'm looking to take my experience to another level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was wondering how a single person would uh, be able to to use the blueprint on dates and whatnot. I'm like, do you ask someone what their blueprint is or how does that go? So that's that's sure. I mean, part of it. Yeah. Yeah, part of it's just listening to people. Mm-hmm. I can tell somebody's blueprint probably, I don't know, I'm at about three or four minutes sometimes, <laughs> you know, just I can just hear a sentence come out of their mouth. And I'm like, oh, I know what they are. Like, I see how they dress or, uh, you know, I can pretty much determine a blueprint just in the way people talk mm-hmm. and move their hands and, over dinner. Mm-hmm. So it's um, it's become quite an art, but I've been at it for 20 years. It's so. part of our course as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, really determining somebody else's blueprint. And, you know, that's one of the things that we encourage as well is like taking the conversations out of the shadows, becoming more uh, confident with being, being forthright about sex as a topic of conversation. If I were dating again, I would be like, you have to take this quiz uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> before our date. You know, I'd, I'd like send it out. But that's me. You know, I'm, I'm pretty bold in the dating world where I would be wanting to have all this information up front. That's, that's my approach. Not, not everybody's approach, but I can tell a lot from a person by how they talk about sexuality, you know? Mm. Just if they don't want to talk about it, if they're like, that's too much, too quick. Hey, we're just going for coffee. I'd be like, but this is fun, <laughs> you know, fun. <laughs> um, and, and they may not want to do it. And that gives me information that I may not want me, Jaya, because I am a sexologist and I do this work for a living. It might not be the right match for me or somebody who's a shapeshifter. That might not be the right match for you because you need somebody who is going to be very erotically educated or, or willing, willing you know, to want, at least hungry, talk openly. hungry for the information. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for coming on. Do you have any final words that you want to say before we close out? Um, This is a really huge topic, and it's something that was mentioned a few times when Jaya was speaking, and it's huge and it's up in our culture. But one of the things that she, I just want to underline it, is this thing about consent. So consent in relationship is a super powerful tool to create trust and create the openness. Mm -hmm. And it's extremely valuable in all the blueprints. It's fundamentally essential if you're playing with kink and in the kink realm, that you're having consensual conversations and creating your agreements. Mm -hmm. But it's really powerful for any blueprint, no matter what you are, because so much of our relating to each other sexually, again, has been from the shadows, has not been from being explicit or Consensual and it doesn't take the heat away. I find consent conversations to be the sexiest turn on ever. And that can also be the conversation is how much consent do you need? Do you find it sexier if we're just like exploring and playing? Or do you want to be me to be asking you every step of the way? Can mm-hmm. I kiss you? Can I touch you? Can I, you know, what, even what is that inside level? of a long term relationship. relationship. So like our relationship at the beginning of this year, 2018, we 
took apart every piece of our agreements, what we what what were just kind of unconscious agreements or conscious agreements of what what, what was okay. We took away all touch and we rebuilt from the ground up. Yep. Ian had to ask to touch me, even though we've been in relationship for 11 years, we, we created this asking each other for everything. And it, and it was amazing. We recreated our entire relationship based on. Mm -hmm. So we could relearn in consciousness, mm -hmm. what worked, what didn't, what was okay. And, and start to reclaim boundaries so that we could articulate them. And then if we wanted to open them up mm -hmm. again, building more trust, building more foundation of connection, building more authenticity and truth in our relationship. Yep. So that, that'd be my last pointer is this big consent piece. And it's huge. It's up in our culture with the Me Too movement and, and so much of what's been going on. People just don't know how to declare boundaries or talk about them or create them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and consent isn't just because of the whole Me Too movement. That should have been something that's been in place for a long time. So, yeah, thank you for yes. bringing that Amen. up. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Awesome. So one more time, people can... Uh, access your quiz at eroticbreakthrough.com slash SFW. You also have uh, your websites, uh, jayalove.com, and you are on uh, a lot of social media channels. What's your number one social media channel, if you have one? Facebook. Facebook. Facebook.com yep. forward slash Jaya. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you both for coming on, and thank you, Sarah, for joining us as well. And thank you. Yes, thanks for having me. Uh, we will uh, be sending lots of people to your quiz. So thank you again. Awesome. <laughs> thank you. If you would like to take the erotic blueprint quiz, then head on over to the eroticbreakthrough.com slash SFW, and you can take it right there. And Sarah and I, we both took the quiz, and we have to say that ours were completely opposite, which is good to know because as we continue on with our relationship, it's good for us to know uh, the right ways to turn each other on and to keep each other in the mood. So by taking that quiz, we now know what we can focus on to keep each other uh, entertained as we continue life together. Sarah, what, what did you think about this whole interview? Yeah, after talking with Jaya and Ian and just learning more about how they've laid out the sexual erotic blueprint, it made me realize that Brian and I both have so much more to delve into on each other's weaknesses and strengths and just how we are super different. Like Brian said, we're complete opposites on what turns us on and it's just a really good reminder to not only invest in yourself, but it's a relationship, so you're investing in your partner as well. Yeah, and I find it pretty interesting that both Ian and Jai have gone through very similar things that we've gone through. So it just shows that, um, you know, no one's immune to these different issues within relationships, and a lot of relationships go through uh, these same things. So if you keep falling back to what you discover in your blueprint or in the quiz, then that can help get you through. Okay, like I said, this is definitely a different episode than normal. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. We had a lot of requests for something similar to this, so I hope this met the needs of that. And if you really enjoyed this episode, then head on over to iTunes and leave us a quick rating and review. Uh, it really does help to get the... Um, the podcast in front of more people. So if you go to summitforwellness.com slash iTunes, then it takes about 20 seconds to leave that rating and review. Keep climbing to the peak of your health, and we'll see you next time.